we are like Elijah in many of us in our hearts. And I, I have to say that me personally, I'm an Elijah by my nature. Uh, good things happen, the Lord blesses you and you see great things and then all you can focus on is negativity. Uh, that's me. Uh, I see the Lord blessing. I see him do a wonderful, miraculous thing in my life. I see him provide in a way that I never could have expected. And then the next day, I'm just, ugh. You ever had a super productive day where you felt like, I got so much done today. I, you know, I got my whole entire to-do list done, and then, whoo, and then the next morning you wake up and you've got plans. You've got plans because yesterday was a great day. Let's build on top of that, and you can't even get yourself out of bed. Yeah, I'm, I mean, that seems to be the cyclical way that my life goes, is that I have good days and I have amazing interactions with people and I have uh, opportunities to witness to people and I have chances to do great things and then the next day I can't even focus on, you know, brushing my teeth and getting out of the house on time. It's a frustrating cycle. It's a frustrating pattern. And what we were talking about last week is the, the attitude behind our burdens, we did talk a little bit about what a burden was and how a burden is not temptation. A burden is not a sin problem in your life. And the burdens that we're talking about, they're not random. They don't come just willy-nilly in your life and with, with no design and no direction in them. They are external in their origin and they're divine in their purpose in that God puts them there in your life as an opportunity for you to give Him glory. And if I was to give a nut shell definition to what a burden is. It is an uncarryable weight to humans that is the weight that accompanies glorious opportunity. It is the uncarryable weight that comes with glorious opportunity. You know, I can't carry my burdens. I can't just lift them up, put them on my shoulder and hike out of here. There are things that when you hit that wall and that burden lands on your shoulder, there is nothing you can do but collapse to the ground because it's too much for you physically to endure. That's what a burden is. But do you know in that it is put there so that you would understand and realize that you can't carry it and only God can. It is there for you to after you understand that only God can carry it, to stand up underneath the weight of it because God's holding it up and show as a testimony to the world around you that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It is there as an opportunity for you to show God's glory to those around you and to live God's grace in you. We were looking at two specific examples of the attitudes that accompany burdens. And we went to 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to start there again today. We're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're looking at the, the life of Elijah here as he responds to Jezebel and her vicious attack on him after he miraculously defeated all the prophets of Baal in a wonderful display of God's power and his absolute control over every situation as he defeats them on the mountaintop as they're offering sacrifices and God does this amazing thing. 
Jezebel's told of what happens by her husband Ahab, and off goes Elijah in flight, running away from this, this vicious response. I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. And off he goes into the wilderness, running away, as we are like to do. We, I mean, we do that. We run away from, as soon as we see these things coming, and don't we, don't we run? I mean, I, I'm a runner. I, obviously not physically. I, I mean, just look at me. I don't run. But I don't like conflict. Anybody here like a your conflict-oriented personality? I, there are people who are like that. You ever met somebody who's a conflict-oriented personality? Um, sometimes it's only conflict-oriented personalities with certain people. Like uh, you might wonder, yeah, my kids are conflict-oriented because every time they get a chance to get into a fight with each other, they go at it. Or maybe you have a sister or a spouse or somebody that knows you well enough and you're like, man, we just are always butting heads. There's conflict-oriented personalities. I think somebody knows what I'm talking about there. I'm not. I hate conflict. I mean, I hate conflict to the point of I will avoid conflict at all costs. Uh, If there's an opportunity for me to get away without having to say something negative, it's, man, I will squeeze out of that loophole as soon as I possibly can. I don't like conflict. And I think Elijah is a little bit like that. He's somebody who lived, uh, ironically, Almost all of Elijah's miracles, if you study the miracles of Elijah, almost all of his miracles were judgment and conflict-based. But the man hated conflict. And then you will see that he passes his mantle to Elisha, and most of his miracles, most of Elisha's miracles, are all mercy-based. We're going to see an interesting dialogue here as he converses with the Lord and discusses this very thing. We're in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we talked about our attitude and it needing to be humbled and needing to be going to God in prayer and needing to come to him with a submissive, on-our-knees behavior. But now we're talking about what do you do? This is a more practical application to what we deal with with our burdens. What do you do when you're burdened? What physically needs to happen when you feel that way, when that is present with you and you've dealt with your attitude, what do you need to do now? Anybody ever left a message and like, man, that really blessed my soul, but I have no idea how to do anything with it with my life? Oh yeah, and I mean, I, I, that was really great, but uh, what do I do now? Um, cheer? Yay! I mean, that uh, doesn't help me. Let's do, I mean, I could do that clap. That doesn't really do anything. Now, God here doesn't leave Elijah or Nehemiah with nothing to do. He says, I'm laying a burden on you. By the way, I'm going to pick you up and carry you with this burden. But I've also got things for you to do. I've got action-oriented behaviors that you need to actually put in practice in your life. The first thing that he deals with, look at 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to read verses 5 through 8. And he says here, As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked and beheld, there was a cake baking on coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. Verse 8, And he arose and did eat and drink. 
and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mountain of God. I want you to understand that there is a, a responsibility for us. When burdens come, we need to make sure that our phys- we are physically fit. Now, I don't want to isogeet too much into this text, but I do want to let you know this. There was a clear understanding that Elijah, in what he was about to do and what God was calling him to do, he wasn't physically fit for it. And so before that happened, before God sent him to do what he needed to do, God took care of Elijah's body. He made him do two things, didn't he? What did he do? He made him do what? Two things. Everybody all together? He made him, he made him eat, and he made him what? Sleep. My mother dealt with a burden that she could not bear for about uh, nine months. It went to the point where um, physically she was completely deteriorated, and mentally it had crippled her. The reason that it crippled her so badly is that she could not sleep. I'm telling you that if you do not take care of your physical body, specifically eating and sleeping, as is mentioned here in the example given by Scripture, you're not going to be able to handle the burdens that God wants you to handle. And I do want to, to note here that this is a different diet than what Elijah was accustomed to. Elijah's diet, if you go through Scripture and look at what he was accustomed to, I mean, Elijah was being fed by ravens at one point. Anybody know what ravens eat? Carrion. Anybody know what carrion is? Dead, rotting meat. He was a man who lived in the wilderness by himself, and he was accustomed to eating grasshoppers, and he was accustomed to eating wild honey, things of very low nutritional value. That was his normal diet, and God says, hey, Elijah, I'm going to feed you with something a little bit extra, a little bit more nutritious, a little bit more than what you're accustomed to, because what you're currently doing is not enough for what I'm calling you to do. Now, he, he, I'm, I want to be very clear that this is uh, the AIV, the Andrew International Version. Uh, so I'm stepping off the pulpit because, you know, I consider that kind of like holy ground. I will say this. There sometimes is a call, and I'm just going to say this. There's a, there's sometimes there's a call that you need to look at your diet and say, is this what God honors God? Is this, the way that I live my life specifically with food, is it what honors God and is it going to enable me to do what I need to do for him? And I think there's a great call for us to, to, to inspect not just our diets, but every part of our physical life, the way that we take care of ourselves, whether it's our exercise routine or other things or how we sleep, how much we give to sleep. Is that part of our lives really honoring and glorifying God? Do we give everything over to him? Or are we holding back certain niche things that are little idols? You know, I just stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning every morning because that's just what I do. And I like to have the quiet time. And I like to have, uh, there's a program that I like to watch or I like to be away from my kids. And then you wake up in the next morning and you're worthless because you're either overly tired or you're grumpy or you just don't have enough energy to do the work that's before you because you have got this little idol at 2 o'clock in the morning. 
I know I might be stepping on toes here. I'm stepping on my own, by the way. You have to figure out that every part of your life is God's. Not just the parts that seem public. Not just the parts that are obviously black and white. Every part of your life is God's. And in this specific instance, you need to look at your physical well-being and is that something that is being used by God to glorify him or is that something that is limiting you from being able to do what he's called you to do? He goes on from there. We're going to read a couple of other verses here in 1 Kings. Let's go to verse 11. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? I want to bring out that, first of all, there is the responsibility for us to make sure that in action we are physically fit. But secondly, as we look at this, there is a responsibility for us to get spiritually fit. As we see this example, God and Elijah are having this little dialogue, and the dialogue is not necessarily in words. God has come to Elijah and asked him what he's doing. He's asked him this question multiple times, why are you here, what are you doing here? And Elijah's response really hasn't changed, and we'll look at that in just a second. But God tells Elijah to go to this place for the purpose of seeing this event. He sends him here, and Elijah sees these major things happen right in front of his eyes. Did you see what those things were? How many of you have ever been in in Elijah's footsteps and have seen something like this? Look at this again. Verse 11. The Lord passed by in a great and a strong wind, a wind that was so strong that it broke the mountains in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. A wind that's strong enough to break earth. Anybody been in a tornado? Anybody? A hurricane? Anything like that? You ever watched one on TV? Come on, I need somebody to help me. There was a, there was a movie a while back about a tornado and, uh, and blowing things and... You ever seen those guys that get in trucks and they drive into them? They call them storm chasers. Those guys are nuts. I mean, I appreciate the power of God, but when I see a tornado, I don't think about it. Hey, let's go experience the power of God. Not that way. You mean, when I want to experience the power of God, I'm not going to drive into a tornado. But here, he experiences. He's standing on the mountain. He's in the entrance of this cave, and as he's standing there. This tornado or, or cyclone or whatever you want to call it, it's so strong that it breaks the mountain apart. That's, that's pretty intense. But what he is left with in his heart is the understanding and the realization that God was not necessarily trying to work through that in his life. Then he sees something else. Look what happens right after that. 
At the end of the verse, it says, and after the wind, an earthquake. Anybody been in an earthquake? I was down on a mission trip in Peru, and I went through two earthquakes while I was there. And the first time, I thought it was just a crazy, weird, close train. And then I realized, hey, I'm in Peru, because I woke up in the middle of the night, and I hear like the, you, you, it sounds like a train. It sounds like train whistles a little bit. It's like, because things are vibrating. And then the house starts to shake, and the windows start to rattle, and the walls start to move, and you're like, this is a really close train. And then you wake up fully and you're like, there's no train. It's just everything's shaking. And you get scared and then it stops. The earth moves under his feet. And again, the realization that Elijah is left with is, God is not trying to speak to me through this earthquake. God is not trying to, to speak to me and actually work in my life through this destructive act. Look at the next thing that's said here. Verse 12, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. We drove by a house yesterday and we saw a house that was burned up. The whole back half of the house had been burned and, and just eaten up with fire. The siding had melted off of it in certain places, and the windows in the whole back half of the house were just ashes, and you could see all the charcoal in it. And I, and I looked at that, and it reminded me of this, that the power of fire, the destructive power of fire is amazing. And the energy that is left off after a fire takes through, and the, it heats, and it, and it, and it uh, disintegrates, and it burns. The power of fire is great, isn't it? But Elijah is left with the truth and the realization that God was not working in his life through the fire. He's left with, at the very end of all of this, in verse 13, Elijah heard this still, small voice. And it was such that that still, small voice made him wrap his face because, like a child, he didn't even want to look on the presence of God because he felt him so close, so near through that, that small voice that it shamed him. When I was a kid uh, in my dad's church at the beginning, when you know how Pastor Matt, he let all the kids go? Well, my dad, the only exit to the auditorium was at the front of the auditorium. So all the kids, when they went to uh, like junior church or whatever, they had to walk, they had to walk the aisle. And they had to come all the way forward in front of all the people in the church. And some of the kids, they just did not like that. You know, anybody had a nervous kid that's a little bit shy? And, and they, these kids, they had to walk down in front and in front of everybody. And there's this little girl, her name was Lindsay. I, I don't remember, Lindsay O'Neill. I don't remember much about her after this, but this is what sticks in my mind. Lindsay O'Neill, every Sunday morning was so shy that she would get right to here and then she'd have to turn left and go across the front of the auditorium that she would grab her dress and pull it over her head so that nobody would see her face. And she would walk from one end of the, all the way to the door with the dress over her head because she didn't want to see anybody, anybody see her face. She was so nervous. Now, we chuckle at that because uh, there's other problems, Lindsay. You know, she was a three-year-old and it was cute at the time and we just thought, ha, it's Lindsay, here it goes again. <laughs> and there she goes. 
And it was a cute little thing that happens. But we are like that, and we see Elijah responding the same way. When we are confronted with the reality of who God is and how he wants to impact us and what he wants to do through us, when we see God for who he is, it's going to put you to shame. And not only do we need to make sure that we are physically fit, but we need to make sure that we are spiritually fit, that we remember and we are recalling and understanding who God is. And so I bring up the question, who is God in your burdens? Who is God when you are crushed by the weight of this responsibility that's on your shoulders and these opportunities to serve him? Who is he? I'll tell you. He's number one. He's the one who put the burden there. He's the one that placed it on your shoulders and said, you can do it. He is the one that created the entire universe that that burden exists in. He's the one that laid out all the rules and, and the, the world system that you are under. He's the one that is allowing it all by his sovereignty to be there. Now, yes, the devil's around, and the devil is, he's doing his thing. But you know who's in control? It's God. Do you know who's allowing this to take place? It's the Savior, the one who died on the cross so that you can have eternal life. That's the one that, that is who God is. And when we remember who God is, and when we recall and focus on who God is, what is possible? But do you understand the consequences of not having your eyes on God? In the New Testament, we're given an example of this, and we'll not go there for the sake of time, but I do want to recall it to your mind. In the New Testament, the disciples were in a boat, weren't they? They were out sailing across the Sea of Galilee, and then all of a sudden, storm came up. And these fishermen, these experienced sailors, were struggling because this storm was pretty vicious. And all of a sudden, they see Jesus walking on the water. And Peter says, Lord, I want to come to you. And he hops out of the boat, and Peter walks on water. But the moment that Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and puts his eyes on the burden, what happened to Peter? He sank. The consequences of not having your eyes on Christ and not knowing who he is are devastating. Because you can't carry the burden if your eyes aren't on him. You don't have the ability if your eyes aren't on him. Keep your eyes on him. Let's go to Nehemiah because I think there's a great example here of a, of a secondary thing that we need to do to make sure that we are spiritually fit. Nehemiah chapter, uh, chapter 1 here. And Nehemiah responds to the burden that's placed on him in verse 4. And it says, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I find it interesting here 
that Nehemiah goes and he comes to, to this position of, of humility that we looked at last week and how he gets down and he's praying to God and he's begging to God and he does something else here that I find very interesting and the, the Bible says that he fasted. That he fasted. Now it's, it's interesting, the contrasting things here, isn't it? What did God do to Elijah in preparation for his burden? What did he do? He made him do what? Loudly? Eat and sleep, right? And what did Nehemiah do? He fasted. Oh man, John's scratching his head. He's, what? I want you to understand here that this, number one, biblical fasting, biblical fasting is not a diet plan, Okay? It is not something that you do because you're trying to do something for your physical body, okay? That's not what's being discussed here. Now, there is a passage in Scripture that gives us a lot of good insight on fasting. I'd like us to go there real quick in Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58. I want to look at a couple verses here really quickly so that we understand what is meant by Nehemiah's fast here in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 4. The scripture says here, Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day. And here God says, Your fast, your unbiblical, ungodly fast, is vengeance-related. Now, does this sound anything like what God was saying to Elijah in the cave? I'm just throwing this out there. What is God saying to Elijah in the cave? I'm not necessarily working in your heart through judgment and through vengeance and through all of this destruction. The way I want to work is through a still, small voice. And we come here and we see this fast in verse 4, and he says, you shall not fast that way. The reason you fast, look at the end of verse 4, to make your voice to be heard on high. There's a purpose to fasting, and sometimes you you need to plead for God to hear you. And you need to get down on your knees, and you need to sacrifice something something that you enjoy, something, the food, and you need to feel the consequences of it to let God know that you are serious about what you're praying about. Biblical fasting always accompanies prayer and always accompanies that communication with God. So this is not just something that you're doing out of of a matter of action. You're doing this accompanied with prayer. But it is an important thing here that we understand. Look at verse 5. Is it such a fast that I have chosen a day for man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? This, this is the fast that God is the one, wanting them to take. I want your fast to be about mercy. I want your plead for me 
to be about seeing God work in the lives of the other people, not to see God ex- exercise judgment and vengeance on somebody. Your heart attitude is wrong. Why are you fasting? Why are you seeking for God? Why are you responding that way to the burden that you have? Think of the people that, and the opportunities that were there before Elijah. Elijah's opportunities are to redeem the people of Israel and all he can think of is vengeance and judgment on Jezebel and Ahab and the prophets and kill them all. It's not about redemptive work in his mind. And God had to refocus him and change his idea of who he is and what his purpose was. When we get into a burden, are we looking for justice Or are we looking for God's mercy? Me and my natural condition, like I said, I'm an Elijah. I don't want conflict. I don't want to be the one doing it. I just want to see God smite them all down, right? That boss is not nice to me. And what do you want in your heart? What do you want in the deep deep darkness of your heart? When things don't go your way, God smite them. Isn't that, isn't that where we're at? That's where I'm at. But where God wants us to be is, God, do something through me to show your mercy. Do something through me to redeem their souls. Do something through me that shows you and your true nature. Not just your judgment. Not just the vengeance that my flesh wants. God, let me truly recognize who you are and use that. Use that understanding of who you are. And God, I plead that you would use me mercifully in their lives. And then you'll get God's attention. Look what it says here, here still in Isaiah 58, verse 7. Is, is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to the house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh, then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. You want to see the lifting of burdens? You've got to change your focus. Put it on God. And you want to see God pay attention? Then you need to change the way you're praying. Stop praying for judgment and damnation and vengeance. And start praying for God to work mercifully in people's lives. And then you'll see God lift your soul. That's how you deal with burdens. But he doesn't leave there. You know, there's, this, there's this responsibility for us to look at physical fitness, and then there's a responsibility for us to be spiritually fit. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, okay, you've dealt with your spiritual life. You've dealt with your physical well-being. Now there's something that I've got for you to do. Let's go back to the, uh, to the book of First Kings. Back to the book of First Kings, verse uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, we're in verse 15 through 17 here. 
And the Lord here is talking uh, unto Elijah again, and this is after he's already gone through this encounter with this small voice. And in verse uh, 15, the Lord says, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abimelech, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. And he gives here, he gives Elisha a divine responsibility and acts of service that he needs to put in progress. Things to do. Things to do. When you have a burden, I'm going to tell you that you're, when you're burdened, your natural res- response to burdens is to stop, right? My natural response to a burden is to fall down, you know? Uh, I, anybody ever weightlifted? You know, done, done a little bit of weightlifting? Okay, the better question is, how many of you have been not weightlifters and then tried to weightlift? Anybody like that? Oh, yeah, okay. So here you go, you're like, I'm going to start lifting weights. I'm going to go to the gym. I've never been to the gym. You walk into this building, and there's all this equipment that looks strangely familiar, like you've seen it on TV once before, but you have no real intimate knowledge of it. And you go up to it, and you're like, hey, and you, you like start pulling on it, and it doesn't do anything. And you realize after a couple times that that's not how you work the machine, and you turn around and go backwards, and you're like, hey, this might might be the way. And then you kind of step back and you wait for somebody else who looks like they know what they're doing to do it. And you're like, okay, I can do that. And then you go over and you take their place. And, a, and if you're a really good person and you've been paying attention, you wipe the seat or whatever, because I think they're supposed to do, I don't know, I don't go to the gym. And then you go and you get into the spot and you start pushing it. And you're like, hey, this is easy. This is easy because you don't have any resistance on it because you don't know how to set the resistance on it. So you're like, whoo! Yeah, and then after you've been to the gym five or six times and you realize that that's not the way it works, you start like, all right, I saw that guy. He was doing, it looked like he had it set at 200. No idea what that means? Plug it in. And then you go, and then what do you want to do? Because the burden is nothing like you've ever felt before, right? This is more than you anticipated. This is more than you can handle because you have not got the strength in you to handle whatever 200 whatever it is. And you push and you push and you push, and your response, your physical response to this burden is what? <laughs> let it go. And you always know the guys who are doing too much when they let go of the clank and it's like slam, and you know how the whole place reverberates because they just let go. They did not have what it takes to let it down gently. You know these super strong guys, they're like, and then they let it down and it barely touches and it's like a whisper quiet. I'm like, man, that's control. That's not me. I'm like, the whole thing rattles. You know, that's, that's me. My physical response is to just get rid of all the burdens. Let go of everything. I've got this responsibility on my shoulders that is too much for me. I know what I'll do. I'm quitting. I'm not doing anything else. Nope, not picking up anything else. What does God call Elijah to do? By the way, hey, on top of this stuff that you got going along, 
with Jezebel and Ahab, you need to get back into it, all right? I got three major tasks for you to do. You got to anoint this guy, you got to anoint this guy, you got to anoint this guy. And you, need to, you have a message for all three of them that you're supposed to be giving. I want you to give this guy this message, this guy this message, and this guy this message. That's your job, so go do it. And he calls Elijah to do something. Now, you want to look at something interesting? Find out how much of what Elijah was called to do that he actually did. We don't have time to talk about that, but it's very interesting. A man who doesn't deal well with burdens had struggle with doing what he was called to do. Now, you get to here, and we're going to go to, verse, to Nehemiah now. Nehemiah chapter 2. I want you to see how Nehemiah responds, because there's a lot of unseen things here as well. Nehemiah chapter 2, we've already gone through, he's, he's talked about his, his fasting and his prayer to God and his humility, and, and then we see something kind of interesting. Uh, notice, uh, we, we need to go to chapter 1, verse 1 real quick, and it says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, and it came to pass in the month, what is the month there, if you've got it in your Bible, anybody want to read that aloud for me? In the month, Chislu. The month Chislu, okay? That, just keep that in our memory banks. Let's go to uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in the month, what? Nisan. Now, I will say this. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but there is a four-month period of time now that has passed by. And in Nehemiah's prayer that he prays, he says, God, use me today. And he gets down on his knees and he begs and he prays and he fasts and he mourns and he says, God, use me today that I can see something happen from this. And the next recorded act that we have is four months later. You ever prayed to God and you don't hear anything and you don't see anything for months? And you just say, God, what are you doing? Where are you? What is going on? And when you're in that position and the burden is on your shoulders and you're frustrated and you don't see God doing anything, what do we do with the burden? It's all the things we just talked about. We either cave up in a little ball or we run away or we get angry or we get frustrated and our faith fails. But do we continue to actively serve and do things and act and move and do what God has called us to do? Look what Nehemiah did. Verse 1. It came to the past of the month Nisan, in verse, chapter 2, verse 1. In the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine, and I gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. It was kind of a dangerous thing to be sad in front of a king in those days because the king didn't like the way you were acting or like your behavior. You ever looked at your kids and you were like, what is wrong with you? Would you stop acting like a mopey little fool? Anybody? Okay, I'm seeing some way too many looks going back and forth across the auditorium. Stop it. Just stop doing that. You're acting stupid. I said that. Yes, I did. You're acting really, just stop it. And if you could, and if you're like, be gone. Would you do it? Come on, let's be honest. In that fleshly moment, you got your kids, and they're just like, 
wretched little thing, you ungrateful. You should be smiling every moment of your life because I gave you life and you have a home to live in. And just because I didn't give you another new cell phone, now you're acting the fool. No, go, you're gone, out of here. You know, don't you wish? Let's Come on, come on, yeah. And it was, it was kind of like that in, in, the king's, in the king's presence. It was not good to be sad and mopey in the king's presence. It, it could cost you your life. And look what happens here. He said, Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? You ask that to your kids sometimes, don't you? I mean, I don't, this is... You sick? You, what, is something wrong? You feeling bad? No? Then suck it up. Come on, you know. And, and what, does, what does he say? What does Nehemiah say to him? He says, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart, and I was sore afraid. Woo! There's, there's one or two things that can happen here. Either he's going to be really nice to me, or it's off with my head, you know. It's, it's not good. Verse 3. And I said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed unto the God of heaven. Now, we don't see a space for a long prayer. You ever been in a moment, in that moment, that one moment? where something's about to happen and you know you've got nothing and all you can say is, oh God, help. Please, right now, I need it. And that's all the prayer you got time for? That's Nehemiah's prayer. I prayed to the God of heaven because his next word out of his mouth to the king has got to be perfect. What I say now has got to be exactly what he needs to hear in order for me to lift this burden. Now, I want you to understand what happens here. Look, look what is going on. He makes a request and he said, If it please the king and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, here is the 12-step plan that I've created over the last four months of time, me waiting, since I heard about the problem till now. What was Nehemiah doing in the space of time that God was not actively, to all appearances, answering his prayer? Nehemiah is working on it. Nehemiah has a plan, and not only does he have a plan, he's thought through it enough to talk about the, the security of the people going there and where he's going to get the materials from and how he's going to be able to do this and how it's going to benefit the king and all of these things together. But how long did it take? How long did he have to wait to see God's active movement in his life? Four months. You know what? It may be four months for you. It may be longer. It may be four years before you see God working the way that you've been praying for him to work. But something that needs to be happening is you to be preparing for God to do that. You ever prayed for somebody to, to receive the Lord with no expectation of them actually receiving the Lord? You, know, you pray for a family member or a friend, and you know this person needs Jesus in the worst way, just as all of us do. We need to have him in our life. But what are you doing to prepare for him to accept the Lord? Are you saying, hey, you know what? 
I'm ready to disciple this person, and I'm preparing myself to disciple this person? Are you saying, hey, I'm making sure that there's ways for him or her to grow in Christ, and I am, I am actively part of the solution, and I am not just preparing for God to do the work, but I'm preparing to be the instrument he uses. And so I'm in my Bible, and I am studying on how to give the gospel in a way that presents ample opportunity for that person to understand and know. And do you think Nehemiah was sitting on his bed with no idea how he would encounter the king? Do you think maybe he was planning and, and putting in precise order exactly the words he was going to say so that the king would respond positively to his request? I absolutely believe so. He was doing the work. You know what? If you're going to actively see your burdens be lifted, then you have to be actively serving. There's work to be done. And you need to prepare for God's blessing to do them. You know, as I look at Nehemiah and I look at how God lifted Nehemiah's burdens and I look at Elijah and I look at how he struggled beneath the load that he could not bear but God wanted to bear for him, I understand a couple of main things about my own life. I understand that my eyes are very rarely where they're supposed to be. That there are parts of my life that are not surrendered fully to him. And I understand that my natural inclination to run away from burdens and to run away from the weight will never find me successful in doing and in glorifying God the way he wants me to. You know, we, uh, we all every once in a while get a new phone. I got a new one recently. I was on top of a roof and uh, my phone like melted down. You ever had that moment when your phone just goes, you know, and it's like, um, that's not good, you know. The screen just kind of like, it, it just went away and there was no way to turn it back on. And it was like, I have a full battery and you look at your phone and now it's a paperweight, but it's got your entire life in it little frustrating you feel a little naked i mean you, you take that and you go and you buy a new phone and it's, now it's your new little whatever and you plug it in and it would be nice if they had a way and i guess there are some things that you can do to like plug in your new phone and punch a couple things and everything goes back and looks like your old phone but your new phone always comes with defaults you know it has these weird things that just annoy me to death autocorrect. It's horrible. You have to turn it off. But the new phone comes with it already pre-on like on, and all these helpful things like, hey, I'm going to change the word mom to like monster, dear monster. That's not good if you're not paying attention to it, you know? Now, our lives come with defaults. You know what your default mechanism is for your life? In every decision, your default, your default mechanism is whatever pleases me. And burdens are there to help you change your defaults. And if you're going to be successful in dealing with the burdens of your life, you have to change the defaults to from whatever pleases me to whatever pleases God. In a nutshell, when you're dealing with burdens... It really does come down to that simple idea. 
Am I focused on myself? Or am I focused on the one who made me? And that makes all the difference. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here and to study your word. And we thank you for the lives of Elijah and Nehemiah. We thank you for the insight of Isaiah. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand who you are fully and what you expect of us and how to see our burdens lifted off of our shoulders because you're the one carrying the weight. Lord, you want to do great and mighty things which we can't even understand. Help us to do that through your strength by relying on you. Help us to understand and to focus on the right things. Lord, we ask that you do a mighty work in our hearts. All these things to our remembrance as we struggle. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, thank you again. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss you guys. Make sure on your way out you thank Andrew, PA, on your way out. Maybe give him a little roller coaster or something on your way out. All righty, you guys are dismissed.